what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Our show today is a somewhat unusual take on POA, power of attorney. That's when you give someone the authority to make personal or property decisions on your behalf should you become incapacitated. POAs are often spouses. They live under the same roof. Their finances are intertwined. More important, they know how you decide things. It's different when the POA is your sibling. I'm with Dr. Mary Jarrett, a family physician in St. John. We're in Oromocto, just outside of Fredericton. It's a central location right off the highway. His job was director of adult recreation and tourism, and he was always going above and beyond. Mary talks about her brother Billy with pride, one of the town's key officials, until he had a massive stroke at the age of 58. He's 59 now. That's the type of person that Billy was, Billy is. And the special care home's just down here. She's taking me to the Oromocto special care home where Billy lives. Mary knows because she put him there. It's called Enhanced Living, which is the Oromocto special care home. They have two facilities. Hi, it's Bill Jarrett's sister. Like Mary, I was a POA for a sibling. My sister Joanne, who died exactly one year ago this weekend. There he is. Here's the man. Billy, remember I said that Dr. Goldman was going to be here to see you? Hi, Billy. I'm Brian. About yeah. different things. Pleased to meet you. Yeah. So this is my wonderful brother, Bill. Yeah. You're bright-eyed. You feeling okay today? Yes. Good. Good. Yeah. Billy, who lounges in bed, looks healthy. His vocabulary consists of one word with several meanings depending on how he says it. You like watching NBA games? Yes. Yeah. My family and I got to see one of the NBA final games when the Toronto Raptors uh, played oh uh, Golden State. It was still we bonded crazy. over basketball. Yeah. Billy has always been a good athlete with everything, but basketball ended up being your main sport. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mary and I find a quiet place to chat. My name is Mary Jarrett. I'm a family physician. I practice in St. John, New Brunswick, and I'm power of attorney to my brother, William or Billy Jarrett. There's a reason why I mentioned my late sister off the top. It's what got Mary to send us this email. Hi, Brian. I read your touching first person piece, a beautiful tribute to your sister. My only sibling, Billy, suffered a major hemorrhagic stroke three months ago as a result of undiagnosed atrial fibrillation. He wasn't expected to survive, but at age 58 and in perfect shape otherwise, he did. He will spend several months in rehab. And This story is less about Billy and more about Mary and the gobsmacking responsibility that fell into her lap so suddenly. But she can't stop talking about her brother. Billy was and is still an absolutely wonderful person. Billy is a cheerful, generous, 
great guy. Everybody in the town of Oromocto knows Billy. Everybody loves Billy. He was a hard worker. He'd been with the senior management of the town of Oromocto for 32 years. His uh, son Shane was in grade 11, and uh, his wife, unfortunately, had passed away five years ago. But Billy was 58 years old when this happened, and at a point that he was going to be looking at retirement in a couple of years. He was very physically active, worked out of the gym every day. He'd always been athletic. His life was starting to move forward. How did you come to know that Billy wanted you to be his power of attorney in case something happened? After his wife died in 2018, he had to redo his will and paperwork, of course, and there's just the two of us, he and I, and we're six years apart in age. We didn't see each other an awful lot, but we both knew that each other was there. So he asked me if I would be power of attorney, and of course I said yes. You just really don't give it another thought. You just look at the papers and put them away. I know about that from personal experience. My sister never even told me that I might become her POA. I mean, who actually wants to go there? But like my sister, Billy's health went south in a hurry. In December 2022, he caught a respiratory bug, possibly COVID. Then in January 23, he went to the local ER and was admitted with a small hemorrhagic stroke. Within two days, it had morphed into one that was huge and life-threatening. What did you find when you saw him in the hospital? Well, he was in and out of consciousness. He would open his eyes, look at you. His eyes would roll back in his head. And his prognosis was very poor. They said there was really nothing they could do. They expected him to pass within three or four days. And so that's what the family prepared for. The thing is, Billy didn't die. The family decided to withdraw IV fluids. That triggered him to get thirsty and wake up. After that, his condition stabilized. He has made an excellent recovery. Um, he was in hospital for six months and largely on the rehab floor and so on. He is able to do his own transfers. He gets around in his wheelchair. So he is able to walk a little bit with a walker, although his main mode of transportation is wheelchair. And his speech? What's going on with his speech? Well, that's the hardest thing. He is unable to talk. He's got communication aids where he can point to things. He can text emojis and maybe a yes or no, but that's about the limits of it. So when did the dust settle that power of attorney was, was going to have a major impact on your life? Well, when it was obvious that Billy was not going to pass away, that he was going to survive, then I knew that I had to start taking charge of his affairs. Uh, Billy owns a house. He uh, has a son in, in school, two stepchildren that were living with him at the time, uh, lots of bills and various responsibilities and so on. So the first step was I got in touch with his lawyer. His lawyer told me that when he retired in an effort to reduce, reduce paperwork, he didn't keep copies of anything. He gave Billy a couple of copies of the original. Well, Billy was not terribly organized in his uh, paperwork, and a great search commenced to try to find his paperwork. This has been a real adventure in learning. How challenging yeah. has that been? 
Well, that's very challenging. Power bills and bank statements and so on, everything's electronic. It's on his computer. And of course, he's the only one that knows the codes. And the passwords and the PIN numbers and all that. Exactly, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the privacy legislation, of course, makes it extremely challenging to get the information. Mary was trying to corral all of that in Fredericton and work full-time as a family doc in St. John. The reality of being Billy's POA was starting to sink in. In addition to all of that, your power of attorney for personal care decisions. Yes. And you've you've had to make some pretty heavy duty personal care decisions in the last in the last few weeks and months. Tell me about the big ones. The most heart-wrenching decision was whether he would be able to go home or not. That was the real tough one because he very much wanted to go home. You you got that from him. Yes. Yes. But I don't think he had a complete assessment of what his deficits really were and how challenging it was going to be for him to go home. But I think the biggest issue is even with some home care, which he would have required, he would have been alone a lot of the time. He really would have been isolated. He had a hard time accepting that at first, but he he eventually understood it. Billy understood he was unable to go home, especially after he had a seizure five months into his stay at the long-term care leaving Mary to make a major decision. You also made a decision to sell his house. How did the family react? I was concerned about that, and it wasn't easy for the three kids. Shane is, I think, who we were the most concerned about. That's because Shane, Billy's youngest son, was still in high school and, to all intents and purposes, completely on his own. But there was a group of what Mary calls the hockey moms who stepped in and brought over dinners for Shane. Then one of the moms whose son was a classmate and friend of Shane's offered to take him in during his grade 12 year. Mary's plan was coming together, but she had one crucial person to convince. It was challenging to even bring it up with Billy because, of course, I had to ask Billy if he would agree to this. So I arranged to meet Billy and I asked three of his best friends to be there. And Billy became very emotional. He started shaking, he started crying, and of course, we all feel terrible. And one of the group, she immediately put Billy's communication aids in front of him, and there were a bunch of faces that he could pick from. And she said, Bill, tell us how you're feeling right now. And he pointed to the happy face, and he pointed to the face that said relieved underneath it. So that was such an emotional moment because it showed us that that was something that Billy was very, very concerned about. You've identified one of the biggest conundrums of being a power of attorney when you don't know how they feel. That was a gift. How did he feel about the house being sold? He was upset about that at first, that's for sure. And I think more because he wanted to go home. When he accepted that he wasn't going home, he was actually fine with the house being sold at that point. But definitely, you are absolutely right, Brian, that you're having to walk a a narrow path here when your power of attorney, but at the same time, my brother is able to still know what he wants. He's still able to make his own decisions. He just needs help and executing those decisions. So I constantly have to be reminding myself that 
these decisions are still his to make, and I've got to try to involve him as best I can, but it's ultimately challenging when that person can't communicate with you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be back to see you a little bit later, okay? Yeah. All right. I love you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listening to Mary made me reflect on my experience with my sister. Like Billy, she couldn't speak, but despite her dementia, she remained cognitively aware of her predicament. Bearing witness to that was at times the hardest part of being her POA. We'll be right back. How do you forget your favorite person in the world? 30 years ago, my 14-year-old brother was killed by a speeding police car. And just a week or two after he died, I started to forget him. But what if I could get my memories back? I'm Alex McKinnon. And Sorry About the Kid is a new four-part series about what happens when trauma and memory collide. It felt like something was being torn out of my brain. Just somebody just tore a piece of flesh out. Sorry About the Kid is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Blackheart. This week, Mary Jarrett becomes POA to her brother Billy. He had a stroke at the age of 58 last February. Mary has logged thousands of kilometers, driving between Oromocto, where Billy lives in long-term care, and St. John, where Mary has her family practice. A lot of space around here. Yes. This is the Maritimes. We've got lots of space. She's right? taking me to Billy's house. We can get out and take a quick look if you sure. want. There, as POA, she's dealing with the nearly impossible task of trying to prep the house to be sold. The detritus of a once vibrant family life is everywhere. The basketball net, the hockey net, the rackets. And it's... Kind of a picture of... A bit of disarray. It's a bit of disarray, but you know, the other thing, Brian, that's sad about about going through this is it's a snapshot of somebody's life. You know, you, I mean, this is... This was a vibrant house. I mean, this is where a family lived. This is where kids went and played sports, where they went to school, where there were family gatherings. Like, emotionally, it's, it's hard for me. Just kind of picking up the pieces, yeah. you know? It's uh, it, it's hard. It's hard. Life is hard. Hard and stressful. So stressful that for Mary, the most basic tasks are sometimes impossible. Getting into Billy's house to show me around. As Mary explains it, to let the hockey moms in, she had an extra key made. Then she had trouble making her new key unlock the door. I can't get it to work at all. I tried all three doors with it. But, uh, oh my gosh. You just did it. You figured it out. <laughs> you have to push the button. You <laughs> don't Anyway, Brian, it's a bit of a mess in here. Mary does have help packing up the house. Billy's three kids are responsible for boxing their own stuff. Still, it's a monumental job, especially sorting through the chaotic state of Billy's papers and trying to find that one document above all, the one that named Mary as POA. This is Billy's crazy office where I had to search for the power of attorney documents. <laughs> we tore the place apart. I'm sitting at this desk. I looked over. There was this little obscure plastic folder over there. <laughs> you, how did you feel when you opened that up? And I saw looked that that's what heavenward it was. and said, thank you, God. That's what I did. Because you could have missed that. I had to find that thing because I couldn't move forward in anything without that document. 
Remember, Mary is not just some neutral, objective person. She's Billy's sister. This must have been taking an emotional toll on you. The enormity of the tasks and then mourning the loss of a relationship with your brother that, that you had had since you were born. Yes, yes, for sure. The tasks and so on, I just did. I'm a family doctor. I'm used to being busy doing things. You just do them. But yes, there is an emotional toll. And what I think about the most is what's the rest of his life going to be like? Why does this have to happen to my brother? He'll never talk again. He'll never, I'll never hear my brother's voice normal again. I will never see my brother bounce into a room again. This experience so far, has it affected your health, your sleep? Well, it's affected my sleep big time. I mean, for sure. I think I've just got too much stuff on my mind. Plus, just the emotional, almost mourning about the change in Billy's life. So uh, my sleep has been awful ever since this happened. I dream an awful lot, and, and the dreams are usually a whole bunch of problems I've got to work through and, and, and tasks that need to be completed. And then I'm wide awake at between 4 and 5 o'clock in the morning, and, you can't get back to and I can't get back to sleep. I've really tried to be aware of self-care, trying to keep up with regular exercise, and I do yoga, I try to do meditation, but it's good to know that there is going to be an end game to some of these things. This is now ongoing. This could go on for a long time. You're the one that's going to be deciding if he's going to be resuscitated. I had experiences of feeling like I was playing God with my sister's welfare. Have you? Yes. It's certainly something that weighs on my mind a great deal. And of course, it's feelings of tremendous sadness and and not knowing what the future is going to be. But I also know that Billy has been extremely fortunate in a support group of people that he has had around him. And I think that's quite remarkable because, of course, when something suddenly and, and catastrophic happens to someone, well, I mean, everybody comes out of the woodwork and everybody's there and everybody's in a state of shock and Until so Until they on. disappear. Yes, but it's just life. I mean, life, life goes on. Yeah, these people have stayed. These people are still there. And both Billy and myself have been immensely blessed to have that group of people because if we didn't have them, Billy wouldn't be where he is right now. You wanted to talk to me because you think that things need to change, that a lot of people have no idea when they agree to be to be the power of attorney what that means. So tell me about that. The power of attorney experience has demonstrated very strongly that you never know what's going to happen. I think there are so many people that ask someone to be their POA or they take on the role of POA and nobody really gives it that much thought. But I think the message is, if you're going to be POA, be prepared. And if someone asks you to be POA, spend an hour sitting down with them and just getting an idea of, of what their wishes would be, of maybe some basics about their finances, what their wishes would be about their house or what they would want for their children and so on. Do you think that people who uh, agree to be power of attorney need support? And if so, what kind of support? Well, that's a very good question. 
I think if if there was a way that people could have a little more awareness of, of what the steps are that are involved, if people could see what the basics are and what the essentials are and what the things that they should be thinking about. We wanted to do this show so people who are named as POA would know what they're getting into. For that, I spoke with Michelle McDonald, who's based in Ottawa. Hi, my name is Michelle McDonald. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Brain Injury Canada, and we focus on education, awareness, and advocacy for the millions of Canadians living with brain injury. I know the answer to this question because I did it for my late sister. Remind us about the range of duties that you have when you suddenly land as power of attorney for a loved one or perhaps even a friend. Well, the duties are endless and they're added on to the many other duties that they probably are are already holding, such as family caregiver. So they, you know, they may have to manage large settlements. They may have to manage daily expenses, uh, living needs, planning for the future, helping them access community supports. Uh, but in general, they're in charge of the overall life of this person who, in some cases, may not know that they need this support. So there can be a host of challenges and it's no small task to be a power of attorney for someone. How much do you think people understand what it means to be a POA when they agree it? You know, they have the conversation where where somebody says, you know, would it be okay if I put your name down as a possible POA? I'm sure it's never going to happen. Yeah, I would say that that's probably very common and I don't think people do understand the magnitude of this. And there really is no training. And most of the information is from law firms you know, this is biased information that uh, not not that it's not helpful, but I don't think people understand the magnitude of this. And unless you're thrusted into that situation, you're not you, you don't need to do the research. You don't need to know this. What are some of the unique challenges facing a POA of someone with a brain injury who, say, doesn't have dementia and has a normal life expectancy? That must especially come to the fore when it comes to spending money. Yeah, absolutely. And often in in legal cases with after brain injury, if it's car accident, there's large settlements. And so there's large amounts of money and disputes over where that money should be spent. And in some cases of brain injury where there's frontal lobe, impulse control, you know, decision making can be impaired. And so when you have large amounts of money that need to be bookmarked for future planning, living expenses, you know, food and all that, but then there's, you know, that big bucket list thing that that person wants, how do you counter that as a POA to make sure that these wise decisions for the future are made, but then also balancing that someone may, you know, if it's a windfall of money and they want to buy whatever that is. You know, we're, we're, we've come to you because we're telling the story of Mary and her brother, Billy. Billy had a stroke. Mary became Billy's power of attorney. What's the emotional toll on POAs? Well, I, burnout, stress. You're now suddenly making decisions, not just for yourself, but for someone else. And then you also need to balance the individual uh, and their needs and how much freedom they have and, you know, how much personal control they have. But then also, how do you protect them? How do you take on the stress of making sure that the decisions are made are in their best interest, even when they may not agree with that? And, And making sure that she's caring for herself as well. But then after brain injury, even stroke, people are at an increased risk of mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, so how do you, you know, balancing that person's needs versus your own mental health? That can be a really fine line and can be a very tricky line for people. What more do you think could be done, should be done to support POAs and their relatives? What can the system offer? Access to education and, and information in plain language and in multiple languages, obviously. 
developed based on evidence that are developed from subject matter experts like lawyers, estate people, life care planners, so that these resources are ready in a pinch when people need it, so that they're not having to dig through the weeds of the internet. And having people, you know, having their lawyer, having, you know, being able to point people to whatever this resource so that people know it's there. You know, sometimes these decisions are made in conjunction with physicians. So having them pointing to these resources, I think that would be a really important gap that could be filled for POAs, you know, across the sector, not just in brain injury. The last question I want to ask you is the elephant in the room. And as, you know, as a POA in my day, I certainly thought about it. Uh, and that is what happens if a PLA is no longer willing or or they feel as if they're no longer able or no longer have the time to fulfill the duties of a PLA? I would hope that they, you know, they're doing it for the right reason. So I would hope that they'd go through the steps of finding someone else that could step up into this role that has the person's best interests, you know, as a priority. Um, I would hope that no one would just walk away. So that would be part of, you know, this education resource of having people have a backup plan um, because that person is going to keep on living and they need to be there needs to be some continuation or continuity in their care and decision making. So, you know, a plan B, I think, would be helpful to have for each person. I got some pictures I can show you here, Brian. OK, so there's um, this is Billy and Trish. And this is Shane. Now, this is a number of years ago. He's he's much taller, though. What have we got here? Oh, okay. This is the new Oromocto Taurus Center. Yeah. So you were quite involved with the planning of this then. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Billy won't be going back to the life he once knew. His sister Mary's mind works overtime trying to make him as comfortable as she can. He's going to get a bigger room and then there'll be more space for all that various stuff and so on. So. Yeah. yeah. Billy, do you like living here? Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. Thumbs up. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Billy and I have talked about many times that we're hoping that he can get his own his own apartment. Yeah. Well, that'll be the aim for sure. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. For Mary, each month brings an endless and exhausting array of new tasks. As power of attorney, you're allowed to resign. Did you, did you ever consider it? No, no. I, I, I always knew that that was an option. But as long as I'm able to do this, I will do this. I certainly am aware that, that for people who don't have a power of attorney, a financial institution and so on can can take that over. Of course, they charge for that. Yeah. And, and in some cases, the provincial government becomes trustee and so on. So right. there's various systems like that. But not but you. No, no. And I would do this all over again in a second. I mean, this is my brother. He is the one that this happened to. He is the one who will live this change the rest of his life. And that's the most important thing to remember here. So I would do it again in a second, and I will continue to do it. And we have a postscript to this story. Last month, Mary emailed us to say she sold Billy's house and that the closing had just taken place. It's a huge weight off Mary's shoulders. Until the next challenge. Things are falling into place as best they can be. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's our show this week. Our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by our senior producer, Colleen Ross, with help from Jennifer Warren, Stephanie Dubois, and Samir Chabra. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza, and our digital writer is Brandy Whiteley. A reminder that White Coat Black Art is now on Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. in most parts of Canada, 2 p.m. in Newfoundland and Labrador. The Sunday time slot remains the same. 
That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.